Thank you, Sister Barb. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good morning, good morning, good morning. What's up and praise the Lord, everyone. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord today. I'm excited to be able to share this moment with you. Whether you are live in the sanctuary or joining us via Facebook Live, I just hope everyone has a light heart and lifted spirit today. And more than anything, I hope everyone came to give God some praise. Whatever that might mean for you, however that might feel for you, I encourage you to give God some praise today because the truth is, everyone has the right to praise God. More importantly, everyone has a reason to praise God. And even better, everyone has the privilege to praise God. And whether you know it or not, brothers and sisters, every time we come together, whether it's on Sunday or whether we are convening during the men's ministry or the uh, women's ministry or the worship ministry or the path to leadership ministry, we are coming together to support, encourage and help each other realize the privilege to praise God so that we might boldly step into the authority that has been afforded to us. And so I encourage you to give God some praise in this moment today because you never know when the last time. It's going to be your last time. Amen? Amen. So I have a word for you today, brothers and sisters, and I forewarn you, uh, it might challenge you a little bit. It might stimulate some retrospective thinking, and some of you may even grow a little frustrated with parts of the message. Just know that it's out of love and concern for my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so I will be speaking to you today from a simple message that I have entitled, Hypocrisy in the House, Hope for a Hypocrite. Hypocrisy in the House, Hope for a Hypocrite. And before I jump into the message, I want to make two quick declarations and then I'm going to pray for us. The first declaration simply says, I am a sinner. If you can relate to those words, I dare you to say amen. amen. Mm. The second declaration simply says, at moments in my life, I have been and can be a hypocrite. And if those words resonate with you, I dare you to give me one more amen. 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 So let us pray. Heavenly Father who art in heaven, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for waking us up this morning and giving us the strength in our bodies to rise from our beds. We can be anywhere doing so many different things, Heavenly Father, but you put it in our heads and on our hearts to come together as one body in Christ to praise you and to worship you, Heavenly Father. And so we just ask that you allow the Holy Spirit to rain down on this congregation and touch everyone that's under the sound of my voice, Heavenly Father. Take complete control of your messenger, for your message is already blessed, Heavenly Father. We just want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So take complete control. In the name of your son and our savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you have used the phrase or even heard the phrase, uh, practice what you preach or walk it like you talk it or don't talk to talk if you can't walk the walk? In other words, don't be a hypocrite. Uh, don't show me one thing and then do another thing. Don't teach me one thing and then you yourself believe in another thing. And don't walk life as if you're walking in the light of God, but then you know that you're really living life as if you're trapped in the dark. Don't be a hypocrite. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor J.D. informed us that the uh, definition for hypocrisy is the gap between public persona and private character. Simply put, it's what I do, what I say, how I look and how I behave when I'm out in public versus who I really am in private. And interestingly, today's focus is going to be on hypocrisy uh, and it falls under the theme, no acting required. I did a little digging, brothers and sisters, and I learned that the term hypocrisies in Latin means play acting, pretending, pretense, pretentious or professed rather than real. And where I grew up, we would say things like no half-stepping, no thinking the funk, no, no flies, and no impostering, no acting phony. And that list goes on. But I want us to think about this today, brothers and sisters, because I don't care who you are, 
where you were from, how you were raised, what your age is, no one wants to be called a hypocrite. But the truth is, at some point in our lives, we probably were a hypocrite. And so if you have your Bible today, I want you to join me. I'm going to be reading for your hearing from the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 25 and 26. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Again, that is the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 25 and 26. And the Bible says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Now, we will unpack the verses 25 and 26 together, but the Lord uses virtually all of chapter 23 to reprimand the scribes and the Pharisees. If you can recall, the scribes and the Pharisees are the religious leaders to the Jews. They're known for, um, they know the word like the back of their hands, but they're also known for following the written law to a T. But here Jesus tells the crowd and his disciples to observe whatever the Pharisees tell you, but not the works that they do. You see, Jesus was putting the scribes and the Pharisees on blast for preaching the word of God, but not practicing the word of God. He was putting them on blast for creating these heavy burdens and laying it on the people, but then not moving one of their own fingers to help the very people that they are burdening. Jesus put them on blast for performing in public simply so they can be seen. You see, they desired celebrity more than they desired celebrating God. Thus, they were hypocrites. Now, when we think about verses 25 and 26, and I think about how this might be applicable to us today, I think about how so many of us, like the scribes and the Pharisees, tend to put all of our focus on the outside of the cup and the plate. For instance, we might make sure that the car is clean and shiny. We make sure that our homes have big and beautiful curb appeal. We make sure the clothes that we wear are stylish and expensive and recognizable by name. But as you can see, I've only given attention to the outward appearance. But the Lord says the inside is only greed and self-indulgence. And so we, like the scribes and the Pharisees, sometimes have all of these cool things happening on the outside. But internally, we are spiritually bankrupt, empty. So from the outside, the car might look clean and shiny, but it'll never go anywhere because there's no engine under the hood. It's empty. Uh, the homes might have this beautiful big curb appeal. It's pristine, but there's no electricity on the inside. There's no food in the refrigerator, and there's no furniture in the rooms. Empty. Our clothes are stylish and expensive and name brand, but how many of you have ever deliberately left the name tags on your clothes because you knew they were too expensive when you bought them, and you had every intention to return them the following weekend? Whether you want to admit it or not, brothers and sisters, that is a form of emptiness. So many of us, like the scribes and the Pharisees, spend so much time and effort creating this facade, this, this appeal, this public popular presence, but we remain empty on the inside. Like the cup and like the plate, we beam and we glimmer outwardly, but inwardly we are filled with greed, envy, jealousy, guilt, self-righteousness, doubt, unbelief, vanity, insecurity, and we have this desire to keep up with the Joneses. Today's society is really keep up with the Kardashians, but some of you know what I'm talking about. But in verse 26, Jesus says, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. 
To put it in another way, we have to take care of the spirit that is the Holy Spirit that dwells and lives within us when we get born again. In the book of Job, I believe it's chapter 34, we are told that all flesh would perish together and man will return to the dust. This was a warning to us from God that he is not concerned with the outside of the cup or the plate. That is, he is not worried about our flesh or our outward appearance because the flesh will die and return to the dust. But the Holy Spirit in us shall live in eternity. We have to nurture and take care and tend to the Holy Spirit so that the outside of us may also be clean. And if we are honest with ourselves, brothers and sisters, we are all hypocrites on some level. The truth is, sometimes we just have really good days when we don't do anything hypocritical at all. And other times we just have really bad days. I vividly remember having a conversation with Jesus myself. I was having one of my woeful moments, brothers and sisters, and I said to Jesus plainly, Jesus, if you knew you wanted me to play a role in the church, why did you give me this big old family? I cried that walking this walk on my own was hard enough, but now I have a wife. Not one, not two, not three, but four children to think about as well. Selfishly, I was declaring to Jesus in private that if I was the only one that I had to worry about, then I am certain I could have been a better minister. And it took all of two seconds for God to remind me that my first ministry is my family. Amen. Uh, in First Timothy chapter three, verse five, the Bible says, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And if that conversation fist fight that would have been the knockout blow for me because it's an embarrassing moment brothers and sisters when God decides to talk to you in that way no one was there to hear what he said no one was there but me but it was an uneasy moment in which I grew frustrated with myself I realized that in that moment I was guilty of harnessing hypocritical thoughts which tells me that there was a probability for my thoughts to become my actions and that scares me it scares me but let me tell you what else scares me brothers and sisters it's the fact that God hates hypocrisy. The New Testament makes it clear when it says that God saves his uh, most severe judgment for the hypocrites. And when you have time, I encourage you to go back and read uh, Matthew 23 in its entirety. And you'll see for yourselves just how Jesus unveils his disgust for the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. Several times, six times to be exact, Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And don't go home and make the mistake of trying to read the scripture like it's some beautiful poem. Jesus was livid. He was tight, angry at the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees, and he wanted them to know it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And at verse 33, God takes it to another notch. He says, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? God hates hypocrisy. And I imagine that some folks might be thinking hypocrisy doesn't seem as bad as murder or kidnap. But on the contrary, brothers and sisters, hypocrisy is the most dangerous because it has the power to confuse God's people. Hypocrisy has the power to shut down churches. People have walked away from the faith because of hypocrisy in the house. Others have never even stepped through the door. Hypocrisy has the powers to confuse God. People in the congregations have been led to non-belief because of hypocrisy in the house. Sheep have stayed away from the flock because of hypocrisy in the house. And just so I can be clear as day, let me give you an example. You can't be a pastor in the house of God preaching to the poor while digging in their pockets for your own prosperity. That is hypocrisy, brothers and sisters. And if you're still with me, I dare you to say amen. amen. 
Amen. There's an old song that I like to sing when I'm walking around the house, and I can't sing, so don't go talking about me after church then. But there's an old song that I like to sing when I'm walking around the house. My family can attest to this, and it's, it's very simple. The first, sentence, the first line just says, I woke up this morning with my mind, and it was stayed on Jesus. But in that same song, it tells us that you can't claim to have Jesus on your mind and still hate your neighbor at the same time. That is spiritual hypocrisy. I can't claim to love the things of heaven, but still serve the things of hell. That is spiritual hypocrisy. I can't claim to be able to be a great husband and, and preach to brothers about what it means to not uh, to be faithful to my wife, but then go out and commit adultery. That is spiritual hypocrisy. I can't talk to my brothers about what it means to be a kingdom father. If I don't know my own children, that is spiritual hypocrisy. And listen to me, brothers and sisters. I want to make something clear. I am all for posting inspirational quotes on Facebook. I am all for retweeting the daily devotional or taking pictures uh, of pages of the Bible and then posting it on Instagram. But if you are doing these things just to create a public image, if you are doing these things just to see which of your posts get the most likes, if you are doing these things to drive traffic to your Internet presence, then that is spiritual hypocrisy. Our intentions behind doing that is what most what matters the most, brothers and sisters. And so I pray that when you do that, your intention and your only intention is to give God the glory. Now, now let me make a clear distinction here. There are those of us here who are making the daily spiritual, uh, spiritual posts, forgive me. Uh, some are sending out the tweets, others are posting the uh, photos on Instagram. And perhaps at this moment, this is the limitation in which you know how to exalt the word of God. You want to give him the glory, the honor and the praise. And you want folks to know that you have a relationship with Jesus. You want folks to see it. You want them to hear about it. And so you make your post. And what I say to you is keep on keeping on. As a matter of fact, you can tag me in your next post. Uh, when you're working on your relationship with Jesus and you want the world to know it, take advantage of every opportunity that is before you. And so I say to you, keep on keeping on. I am not talking to you, brothers and sisters. You are not a spiritual hypocrite. So when I speak about hypocrisy in the house, I'm speaking specifically to those of us who are aware that we are in the church acting. Those of us who switch our spiritual identities based on who we are around. I am speaking to those of us who know what the criteria is to be in a relationship with Jesus. Yet we rather appeal to the world because it's cooler, because it's easier. And in the words of my son, it's more funner. I'm talking to you, brothers and sisters. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to us. And for the record, I am not exempt from this message. Uh, sometimes folks believe that the pastor or the preacher, or the minister, or the messenger is trying to sort of stand on this soapbox when we are preaching the word of God, but that couldn't be further away from the truth, brothers and sisters. The fact is, when the Lord puts a word on my heart, in most cases, it's because I needed to hear the word first. And in some cases, brothers and sisters, I needed to hear it more than anyone in the room. So, trust me, I am not trying to exclude myself from this message. I, in some cases, might be the chief hypocrite. And so when I talk about hypocrisy in the house, brothers and sisters, yes, I am talking about the house of God. Yes, I am talking about the church. I am talking about God's family. But I am also talking about your house, my house, our homes. We have to shake this thing called hypocrisy. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Just checking. It's unusual for a preacher to expose himself. 
In fact, in most cases, and understandably, they are counseled against ever doing so. But I have to admit that I hate this idea that I could potentially bring hypocrisy into the house of God. There's this heavy, unspoken burden that the world loves to put on us if we say that we are preachers or ministers of God. They think that you're supposed to be perfect, but I don't even know what that end of the spectrum looks like. In fact, if I ask my children to come up and testify about who I am as a father, I'm pretty sure they'll say some pretty good things. If I ask one of my brothers to come and preach about or testify about what type of brother I am or even what type of man I am, I'm confident that they will have some good things to say. And if I ask my wife to come and testify what kind of husband I am, that testimony can go either way on any given day. And I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, that scares me. And as a result, like lots of folks, I have moments when I am wondering where I am on this cycle of hypocrisy. What am I doing in the moment? Who is being affected by my hypocrisy? But more importantly, how do I lead towards dissonance? How do I break the cycle? How do I break the chain knowing that I can't do it on my own? I have a good message for you today. Some good news, brothers and sisters. There is hope for the hypocrites. God held off his immediate judgment for the hypocrites simply so that we might have the chance to repent for our sins, to make some changes in our lives, simply so we can get it right. Even better, brothers and sisters, he sent his son, my savior, who not only defeated hypocrisy for us, but he shared the victory with us. But here's what we must remember. As children of God, we are called to a lifetime of repentance. Even if you never commit another sin in your life, which is absolutely impossible, you have already committed enough sin to repent for the rest of your lives. So as we wrap up another Sunday, we have to first be mindful that the journey to being in relationship with Jesus continues. And if it's all right with you, I just want to offer a few action steps that's going to help us along the way. And the first thing I am going to encourage you to do is to focus on you and your relationship with Jesus. Let me repeat that. I want you to focus on you and your relationship with Jesus. You see, we tend to want to compare our hypocrisies to that of other hypocrites. Have you ever attended a church with a complaining Jane or a complaining James? Every week is something different about someone new. This week is the past. Look at the pastor. Doing it. Look at this. The worship. My husband don't get it right. He's always doing this. My wife just can't. Every single week, there's a different complaint about someone new. And I just want to say, brothers and sisters, we have enough hypocrisy within ourselves to focus on ourselves for a lifetime. Besides, God has a judgment for all of us, and it will be rendered to each of us according to our works. And so worrying about whether or not my hypocrisy is greater or less than someone else's hypocrisy is of no value. I have to focus on me and my relationship with Jesus. In fact, I, I encourage you to focus on the Lord, see his holiness, see his love, see where you fall short and how often you fall short. And then you'll realize you really don't have time to be thinking about your neighbor anyway. So focus on you and your relationship with Jesus. Number two, I want you to name it. That's right. Name it. My oldest daughter, Tiana, when she was a little younger and actually enjoyed hanging out with me, uh, we would watch tons of movies together. Uh, we would watch these movies and we would analyze them and we would share our perspective. Uh, at one point, we watched a movie called Conjuring 2. Uh, Conjuring 2, it was about this, uh, this home, this, this demonic spirit that had possessed this home and everyone inside the home. The spirit used its powers to manipulate the family members that lived in the house. It could possess their bodies and have them doing and saying horrible things. 
the family could not figure out how to fight the spirit or how to get it out of the house. Now, I know some of you are saying that's right around the time you're supposed to pack up and leave. But it's a little easier to do uh, or a little easier said than done, especially when you are a single poor mother with four children. It's not so easy to just pack up and leave. Anyway, they brought in two professionals who just happened to be people of God. And they had experiences with defeating paranormal activity. So long story short, they tried everything to fight this demon and to get it out of the house. And nothing was working until one of the professionals realized that they had to call that demon by its name. They had to name it. And as soon as she named it, it was gone. Now, I'm not the first and I won't be the last to tell you this, brothers and sisters, but we have to name our sin. Rather than saying I borrowed something without asking for it, just say I stole it. Rather than saying I didn't tell the whole truth, just say I lied. Rather than saying I had a fling or I stepped out on my spouse, just name it and call it what it is. I committed adultery. I lied. I cheated. I, you can fill in the blank. Author and pastor Matthew Cruz says it best when he says naming our sins like this helps us to see it for what it is. Ugly. Ridiculous. Moreover, brothers and sisters, naming our sins can help us to see us for who we are. If we can name the addiction with God's help, we can fight the addiction. Amen. If we can name the illness with God's help, we can treat the illness. Amen. If we can name the sin with God's help, we can defeat the sin. But we must first name it. And from time to time, we might be able to trick a few people with our sideways talk. But remember, the Lord always knows exactly what it is. And I won't pretend that my thoughts are his thoughts, but if I were a gambling man, I'd bet the house on the fact that God is not into interpretation games, brothers and sisters. We have to just name it. And last but not least, I'm going to encourage you to never stop repenting. As people, as children of God, we sin so often that it sometimes becomes normal to us. It becomes a part of what I call our fleshly routine. And as a result, we often grow lackadaisical about repenting. But in Matthew chapter four, verse 17, the Bible tells us from the time Jesus began to preach, he said, what? Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have to never stop repenting. And not everyone is going to agree with me here, brothers and sisters. But I believe that repenting must become a part of our daily spiritual routine. Even when we have good days, brothers and sisters, I encourage you to say something like, Lord, forgive me for the sins that I committed that I wasn't even aware of. I'm talking about the unconscious bias thought that you had, the microaggression that you committed, the moment of unbelief that traveled through your mind. I'm talking about the time you used profanity in front of your children and some of you at your children. I'm talking about the time you littered. You get the point. Never stop repenting. Just last week, someone in here cussed out their belligerent neighbor. It was either in your mind or out of your mouth. You never thought to repent. We can never stop repenting. There is so much more that we can add to that list. But I also want to say to you, brothers and sisters, repent from a place of joy. Do not allow repenting to become this long, boring, exhausting uh, religious ritual that we do just because we think we're supposed to do it. I don't want you to start repenting just because you're trying to keep, keep God happy. Tim Keller says it best when he says, repent to tap into the joy of our union with Christ to weaken our impulse to do anything contrary to God's heart. We have been called to a lifetime of repentance for a reason. So focus on your relationship between you and Jesus. Name your sins one by one. Never stop repenting. And I want to leave you with this final thought. It is okay and it is natural 
to fear hypocrisy in your own life. But if you are truly seeking a genuine life with Christ, brothers and sisters, we have to rely more and more on the Holy Spirit to convict us, to change us, to empower us. Even though we have been saved from sin's eternal penalty, we must still deal with the fact that we have sin, including hypocrisy, still present in our lives. And so the next time hypocrisy rears its ugly head in your house, don't fret. Call on Jesus. Nor should you allow anyone else or even the voices in your head or in your heart to convince you that you are a spiritual failure because you have faltered along the way. No one, and I mean absolutely no one, no man, no woman, no child, no Christian is perfect, only Jesus. And the truth is, uh, when we tell folks that we are children of God, in most cases what they hear is, you're saying, I'm better than you, or I am more special than you, or I am holier than you. And in some cases, that just might be true, brothers and sisters. But when I say I am a child of God, I am saying I know Jesus died for my sins and I am redeemed by his blood. When I say I am a child of God, I am saying that I am a sinner and I cannot do it without Jesus. When I say I am a child of God, I am saying I know that I am imperfect, but I am still kingdom bound. So making mistakes along the way of your faithful journey is not saying that you are a hypocrite. You may have just missed the mark in that moment. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep the Lord in your heart. Keep the world behind you. And I assure you it's all going to work out. Let us pray. Heavenly Father who art in heaven, we just want to say thank you again. If you never do another thing in our lives, we just want to say thank you. You have done so much already with all that you have done, all that you have been to us and all that you continue to do and be. And so we just want to say thank you for allowing your presence to be felt in this house. Heavenly Father, we pray that you plant a seed in someone's heart, that they may be someone different when they walk out of these doors. Heavenly Father, that they may desire to come to you and have a relationship with you. Heavenly Father, we pray that the word was powerful enough. Heavenly Father, to continue to defeat hypocrisy in our lives. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will remain with us for the duration of our lives heavenly father we want to be in relationship with you we pray that you bless this congregation bless all of your children heavenly father look over our homes and our families and our friends our associates heavenly father but more than anything we want you to take complete control over who we are so that when we walk through the world heavenly father people will see you we want you to be revealed in a real way so that it's real for all who come in contact with us we ask all these things in the name of your son our savior jesus christ and the church says amen. Amen. amen.